great privilege of ours to have uh, two of the greatest people that I know of in all the world. There were all great men. Not in contact with some really what I call great men. Not great in wealth, but great in wisdom and great in their walk with God. One of them has been Brother and Sister Glass. I am so grateful that they are here today. Uh, he is 89 years young. And uh, I mean, he is young. He refuses to give up, and we're delighted. I've told him to just take his liberty. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's the elder, and we're going to respond. But I feel like the Lord has something for us today. Would you invite them here with your clap of praise and appreciation? God bless you. the Lord everyone it's good to be here isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord praise God as a matter of fact there's nowhere in the world I'd rather be than in church thank God isn't God good to us bless the Lord bless the Lord I will let you sit down for a moment, anyhow, and I will, uh, as, he, as you say, I'm not, I don't jump around like I used to, and I'll probably, well, I will, I'll stay right here with the pulpit, where I'll have something to hold to, but uh, you're heading in that direction. Isn't that something? I kind of, I laugh at people. They look at me and see how I may move around and they, they kind of snicker. I said, go ahead. <laughs> laugh, friend, laugh. Because you're heading in this direction too. Yeah. And won't you be glad if you can make it as long as I do it? Praise God. God's just good to us. Praise God. And I'm so thankful. So very thankful for his goodness. And, uh, it's so nice to be here in, in this pulpit this morning. It is so nice. I, I couldn't be in a, in a better pulpit than this one right here. And I couldn't be with better people than we are with the Hooses. They've been very special to us. As a matter of fact, my wife has to brag about a few things, uh, so often. And I kind of get tired of it, but she does. You know what I mean. And uh, but we're, we've just been close all for a number of years. I've been here for, mm, I guess I don't know, sixty, sixty-eight years, something like that. I had, I've been in the ministry seventy years, and uh, so you see, some of you weren't even born when I started preaching. And I hope you're not privileged to hear the last time I preached today. <laughs> Praise God. But it is wonderful to be a child of God. 
And then it's wonderful to have friends such as Brother and Sister Hughes. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm excited about your new building. Oh, I hate that. I hate to see that one torn down. But under the circumstance, I'm glad it is going to be torn down. And you're going to put a brand new one there. And uh, he mentioned, he said, some people didn't care for me coming here. But I says, I was one that was thrilled that you came. I said, you're going to have one of the biggest churches in Texas right here. Right here. You don't know. The Lord showed me years ago about this area right here. And it's going to be booming like we've never seen before. Praise God. And uh, what you've got to do is to be sure and be faithful. And, and live like you're supposed to. You know, because people are going to be watching you more than ever. And it's not going to be what is said from this pulpit that's going to make all the difference in the world. It's going to be what's lived in the home and what's lived in the street and what's lived in the store, what's lived on the job. That's where all the difference is going to be. And you can sit back and say, we can't grow, but stop and think maybe you are the cause it isn't growing, you see. It's got to be you. I mean, it's got to be you. This church grows, it's got to be you. You've got to live such a life that people want to mimic you. They want to come. Praise God. And I know you are. I know you are. And I know you have such such tremendous people to watch and see. If you want to know how to live, look at them. Amen. I mean, I, I I shouldn't have to get up and preach. You do this, you do that. Oh, no, no, no. Look at me and my wife. And if we can't show how, we, how you're supposed to live, then we're out of the, we're in the wrong pew. That's all there is to it. So you've got a couple that will stand the test, will be true. And if you'll just be true too, uh, wouldn't you like to have your neighbors in here? You see, and more than ever, all you kids, praise God, praise God. I will try to stop rambling now, and uh, I'm going to talk to you about what I think he told me he wanted me to talk about, but if it isn't, I'm still going to talk about what I've got right here. Open it. Your bulletin. Let me open it. I noticed it said uh, your July eighth says, "Remember to read the book of Acts through each month during the summer, one chapter each day, and have a safe and happy summer." And you know that's that's wonderful. Remember to read the book of Acts. I don't know if you realize it. I know you do, that we're still in that book. I'm living in it today. And uh, before I even start with this, let me just mention 
I was talking to the Lord not too long ago, and he showed me something that I, I'd never thought about. Never heard anybody mention it. But I was wondering, Lord, what's been the greatest day in the world? What's, what's the most important day you've ever had? You ever thought of that? What's the most important day that God's ever given to earth? You see, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, in the beginning was the plan. Before God ever created a world, He had a plan. And in that plan, He saw the beginning and the end. He saw us here today. Everything between. Now, what is the greatest day from your beginning all the way to the end? What's the greatest day you've ever given the earth? Have you ever thought of that? You know what it is? The day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the greatest day God has ever given the world. You want me to prove it? What did he come for? Want me to prove it? He was a lamb slain when? From the foundation of the world. He had it all planned. And everything was to funnel down right to the day of Pentecost. And then to go up from that day on unto the rapture. Praise God. Praise God. So that is how important the book of Acts is. Well, let me, let me take my text. Matthew 16 and 18. Uh, I'll quote it. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. To thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the church, the church, the most important place in the world, the church. I know this, that uh, many, many questions have arisen concerning the church. And at my age, you can imagine, in preaching this long, I, I've, I've had so many people uh, confront me about the church and uh, ask me about it. And I've preached about it. So when you look about the church, the questions ask, now here's one of them, which one is the right one? Let's see, there's how many? Over 6,000 denominations. Over 6,000. We're one, they would call one of the six. No. Over 6,000 denominations. And of all that group, which one is the right one? 
Now, how can we know which one is the right? And on and on and on and on the questions come. So I want to try my best to answer a few of these questions today. The book of Acts, just answer these questions. Now, I think every one of us, look, when we see the Bible, we recognize the fact that the church was established on the day of Pentecost. No one can deny that. Go to any encyclopedia you want to. Britannica, Americana, Schaffherzog, any of them you want to. And every one of them will tell you that the church began on the day of Pentecost. Well, if it began on the day of Pentecost, then what did they believe on the day of Pentecost? What happened on the day of Pentecost? And it stands to reason, whatever happened then must happen today. Praise God. And I, I, there's no need to try to fool myself. Make myself believe otherwise. I've got this book. If I believe this book, and I believe that he started a church, then I've got sense enough to realize that I'm going to have to come the way he says I must come in order to be in that church. Now when I look at the first church, There were 12 points that that church taught. 12 points. I'll I'll try to list them briefly. They taught repentance with divine forgiveness. They taught water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's Acts 2.38. They taught the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. They taught the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. They taught believing and performing miracles. Now these are the points they taught. They taught possession of nine spiritual gifts after receiving the Holy Ghost. And then they taught holiness and living. Amen. And then they taught divine healing. I've got scriptures for each one of these. And I won't take time to read them, but I can give them to you if you want them. They taught holiness in living. And they taught divine healing. And then they taught the second personal coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his bride. And then they taught the fruit of the Spirit. And oh God, I hope that we all have just that. The fruit of the Spirit. And then they taught communion as a memorial. And then number 12, they taught the infallibility of the Word of God. And that it was not of any private interpretation. Those 12 points was what the early church taught. And after the church was established... And they began to teach that uh, just as we have it today, uh, a great wave of persecution hit. You know, I, I, uh, 
Oh, don't move, artist. Come on, hold on. I, God, God gave me a, a vision. I don't get many of this. And I guess it was a vision. I had open heart surgery. And uh, I started dreaming. I guess it was a dream. And brother, I dreamed that Lord showed me the church from, He showed me the church from its very beginning to the rapture of the church. Showed me the whole thing. Paul, you talk. Oh, I saw, I saw one of the big building in Houston. I, I saw the men working on that crane. No, they were, uh, and all of a sudden, the rapture took place. There was nobody there. I walked down to the street. There was nobody on the street. He showed me all of that. It was absolutely amazing. Praise God. God's, God's got it, friend. He's got it, friend, and we need to realize that. Now, you see, what I've got is I just got off of my thought. I, not off of my thought, but... uh I'm 89 years old. You understand? I'll get back on it. Okay, here it goes. After the church was founded, there was a great wave of persecution that hit. It first came from the Jews and then from the Romans. And all the apostles, as you know, were martyred except John, and he was delivered from a boiling cauldron of oil. And for the next 250 years, severe persecution was for the church. And after 250 years, and of course that things happened here, he knew the Christians, the Constantine, wanted to rule the world. And he knew the Christians, the Christians numbered half of the population. One half of the world was Christian. And he knew the only way he could ever be emperor was to get the support of the Christian church. So he faked up a dream. He saw a cross in the heavens and a sign that said, by this cross conquer. You remember that in history. By this cross conquer. And so he made a bid to the Christians that if you will follow me, then I will relieve persecution and you can have freedom of religion. They were worshiping at that time in catacombs, tombs, wherever they could. They were worship and severe persecution. So promising that, the Christian yielded to that. And they began to back Constantine as the new emperor. And when they did, you, 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 you can't compromise with the world. You just can't do it. You've got to take your stand no matter what. But they compromised to the world. They yielded to him and as a result the church backslid. And that hurt. And when it backslid they took upon itself the name universal or Catholic. And when that happened they lowered all the standards. There's no standard in the church. The pagans began to flood church. And it would have been all right if they was coming in as people, but they came in as their pagan. They brought their pagan religion. For instance, uh, 
They want to say, well, you're, 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 you're talking about God. We, we have a trinity in our, in our religion. Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz, that's our trinity. And they say, well, well, we have a trinity. You do? Yes, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And see, that's how the trinity actually originated. There was no such thing before this. 250 years after the resurrection. And then whatever they begin to com- begin to fuss and fight about who God was, Constantine called a council meeting at Nicaea in 325 AD, and he wanted to establish the truth about Jesus. And that council was reigned over by Constantine, who had his throne set up in the chamber, and he ruled over that meeting. Constantine believed that right or might makes right. And whoever wins the fight is right. And that meeting at at Nicaea was not much more than just a knock-down drag-out. They'd go and start speaking about something, and about a truth of God, and someone would rise up and go, and they'd start right, right in front. Whoever won, they were considered the champion. Oh, Brother Glass, you're making that up. I wish I was. I wish I was, but I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not making it up. So they began to fight. The clerics, most of those there that were church leaders, were just fresh out of paganism. And they never really left paganism. They brought that paganism right into the church. And they began to fuss with that. And finally, after they concluded, they concluded that there was a Trinity doctrine... And after they did that, truth lay dead in the streets. Falsehood took over. The dark ages began. And then they began to worship the rituals of the law. (coughs) They put them in the church. For instance, they brought in creeds. They began to take the truths out. Anointing with oil was substituted for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Sprinkling was substituted for immersion in water. Infant baptism was adopted. They began to baptize in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And instead of the absolute deity of Jesus Christ, they substituted the doctrines of the pagans into the church and created the Trinity. Now let me let me read I've, in in Life magazine, October thirtieth, nineteen fifty, and I have this magazine in my home. I read from it. The Catholics declare nineteen fifty the year of Mary. Now let me let me brief you their beginning. The Catholics declared in 1950 that Mary died when she died, that the angels came down and lifted her body and took it physically to heaven. And there she reigns as queen of heaven. 
Now that's in their doctrine. And that's in this book of life, of life magazine. And when they were questioned about the bodily assumption of Mary, what was amazing, <laughs> let me go a little farther. It's, it's comical, really. Whenever, whenever Mary was dying, all the apostles were gathered around her. That is all but one. And guess who that one was that wasn't there? Can you guess? You will when I mention it. Thomas wasn't there. Why Thomas? He's the doubting one, you know. So Thomas wasn't there. All the others were. And the angels came down and lifted the body up. And whenever Thomas came in later, they said, Oh, Thomas, the Lord has taken Mary in a bodily form to heaven. To rule and reign as queen of heaven. He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, three days later, Mary appeared to Thomas. And she said, Thomas, don't doubt what they're saying about me. My son sent his angels and took me on to heaven. And here I'm reigning as queen of heaven. And so Thomas began to believe. Oh, Brother Glass, that's that's true. I mean, that's what they say. It's a lie. A lie, but that's in the, I'm sorry, in the Catholic doctrine. Now let me continue this book. When they were questioned about the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven, they were told the Protestants would not accept this. And they said, our opponents claim that no belief should be held dogmatically which is not explicitly stated in Scripture. Now notice. But the Protestant churches themselves have accepted such dogmas as the Trinity, for which there is no such precise authority in the Gospels. They will oppose this, but eventually they will accept it. Now that's in Life Magazine, October 30th, 1950. And you know something? They, Catholics believe, believe this, and they put it in practice. To start a, a dogma or to start a teaching, you start today and you reveal it, reveal it today. And then put it in the people's minds and leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Fifty years later, come back to it and bring it up again. That's, that's their belief there. Now notice this, and maybe some of you saw this. In August 25th, and I've got this book in my, this magazine in my library. August 25th, 1997. Time, or rather, uh, Newsweek magazine. They said that about the official, the dogma of the assumption of Mary. And they said this. (laughs) It is time that we put Mary in her proper position. She is divine along with her son. Therefore, We have a holy quartet. Father, Mother, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, Brother Glass. That's right. 
Look at the magazine you can find in the library. Or I'll show you mine. But I'm trying to show you what they brought into the church. And people are so gullible that they'll accept such as that. And then in, in 405 A.D., images and saints and martyrs began to appear in the churches. At first as a memorial, then in succession, revered, adored, and worshipped. Have you questioned that? I don't think you do. You know, Catholic, Catholic college. We, um, in St. Louis, we bought a Catholic Catholic college and uh, converted it to Pentecostal. And they had a, a chapel there. And in that chapel, there was images of saints all, just uh, all around. And they, they didn't think anything about it. And one of the students Later on, says, you know, says, I was feeling so bad. Well, says, I, I walked in the chapel and, and I looked up and, and I saw the saints there and, and I started thinking about it. And I says, talking to them and said, I got to feeling better. And our general superintendent says, take them out, take them out. And boy, they got rid of those statues in a real big hurry because somehow they, Really? If you're not careful, they'll get a hold of you. Hey, uh, maybe I'll insert this. There's nothing you're worshiping beside Jesus, is there? Reckon there is? Certainly not the dollar. I mean, you, you gave in tithes and offerings this morning. So you're not worshiping the the dollar and there's no uh, <laughs> I had a statue of the nine gods of, of China oh I had them there and I got to think I don't, that's not right so I just went and just about gave them all away valuable but I, I said I'm not putting them to my office any longer I took them out it was a good conversation piece but if you're not careful, you might, you know, after all, somebody else is worshiping them. Oh, God. Say praise the Lord. And then the adoration of the Virgin Mary was substituted in 405 A.D. for the worship of Venus and Diana, pagan goddesses. And 451... The Council of Chalcedon declared Mary to be the mother of God and you could intercede. She would intercede for you. You could go ahead and pray to her. Oh, Brother Glasser, I'm telling history. And I know you've wondered about some of that. Let me go farther. In 590, Pope Gregory the Great took over the reigns of the Catholic Church, and he established three doctrines. One was purgatory, an intermediate place between heaven and hell. 
When you die, you go to purgatory. And after you burn there for a while, then you can be released and go into heaven or go on into the real hell. And I wish I was making this up. And then he put in transubstantiation, which means whenever you have that the bread and the wine that you use in communion, whenever you have communion, that bread and wine turns into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. They preached that then and they preach that today. And then he also had the dead saints. The aid of dead saints was declared a help to salvation. And then he added something else. 590 A.D. Prayer became largely replaced by rote. Or in other words, written and memorized prayers. That was Pope Gregory in 590. And then in 1073, Pope Hildebrand enforced celibacy, which means the priests were forbidden to marry. He forced that upon all the clergy. As a matter of fact, uh, if it were Pentecost with just one-twentieth of the problems the Catholic Church has with sex would have to close down. But the Catholic Church has spent literally billions of dollars paying people off that the priest ruined. And you know that's true because it's in our papers all the time. There's a big case going on in in, in uh, Chicago now. I think there's one in Cal in uh, New York City going on now about priests destroying little boys and little girls. But you see, celibacy, they can't marry. And he's the one that put that in. And then in 1517, Martin Luther rebelled against the Catholic Church with his 95 reasons for the sale of indulgences being wrong. In other words, they wanted to build St. Peter's Basilica, and the best way to do it was this. Go ahead and sell indulgences. And indulgence is simply this. Hey, you've already repented of your sins. You've paid for that. Now, why don't you go ahead and buy an indulgence and you can pay for the next sin that you're going to commit? Sounds good, doesn't it? If you give enough, you pay for all the sins you're going to commit from now on to the end of your life. Brother Glass, you're making I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not making it up. Martin Luther, in his 95 theses nailed to the Wittenberg church door, every one of them was against the sale of indulgences. How wrong it was that person cannot buy their way into heaven. And as a result of that, they excommunicated him. He was, he dared question the Catholic church. And so they excommunicated him, trying to kill him, but God somehow delivered him. He had read in the book of Romans that the just shall live by faith. 
that we did not need the hold to the Catholic Church had on an individual. You can go to Jesus yourself. Praise God. He'll hear you. He'll forgive you. Bless the Lord. And whenever he began to preach that, that started the Reformation, which is the journey back to Pentecost. They threw the world into the dark ages. Now we got to come out. And Martin Luther started it with his Lutheran church preaching justification by faith. And then in 1536, John Calvin came forth, Presbyterian, and he said that communion is a memorial. It's not something that of transubstantiation, but it is a memorial. And that was another step out of the Catholic Church. In 1580, Robert Brown, he said the church should not be associated with the state. They should be separated. So he formed the Congregational Church, separation of church and state. And in 1809, John Smith began to preach baptism by immersion. And that was the Baptist Church. In 1720, John Wesley came forth and said, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So he formed the Methodist Church on the standard of holiness. In 1812, Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone founded the Disciples of Christ And theirs was baptism for the remission of sins. It's not just putting you under, but it's got to do something. And that something is baptism remits your sins. They started preaching that. And then in six, in, in 1881, the Christian Missionary Alliance came forth preaching divine healing and the second coming of Jesus Christ. 1901. Oh, wonderful. 1901. Uh, there's a Methodist seminary in Topeka, Kansas. And uh, just as Christmas holidays, they come across Acts 2-4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues. They went to... Brother Parham, who was the teacher, and this, what is this? What does this mean? He says, I don't know what it means. He said, it looks to me like they started speaking in a tongue and receiving the Holy Ghost. He says, I don't know. He said, it's Christmas holidays, and that's the first thing we'll take up when we come back from them. And so they went on their vacation. Well, some stayed at the school and they prayed. I worked in the field. And there, January 1st, 1901, some men were in the field working. Some were there praying. And the whole of them on heaven, bouncing upon each other of God, fell and was as fire on, from them on heaven, bouncing upon each of them. And they all started speaking with tongues. Those in the field started speaking in tongues. And they began to shout and worship and praise God. And when Parham came forth, he found out that already received the Holy Ghost, and he received the Holy Ghost. That was 1901, January 1st. And then 
went on 196. 196, there was a train that left Houston and was going to Alvin. And Brother Foss was on that train and a few others on it. And they were singing and praising God. And it, that train had to stop at Alvin because they all started speaking in tongues on that train. That train stopped and they got off and went up and down the street, praying and speaking in tongues, shouting and praising God. And it it hit this city very strongly as they began to speak with tongues and praise God. 1914, my mother was in De Quincey, Louisiana. She lived in what they call Bear, Louisiana, and or Ragley today. And my mother was there. She was a Methodist, all her family Methodist. And she pressed past a brush arbor. And when she she looked at it and thought, heard them singing in there, and she liked the singing. So she just went in. You know what a brush arbor is, don't you? You don't. Oh, come on. Tell them what it is. <laughs> they, they just built a frame and threw brush on top of it, you know, for the sun, keep the sun out. And they had service there. And uh, she heard them preaching. And the man said that they needed the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. My mother heard that. Never heard that before. And he gave the altar call. Mother rushed to the altar. And my mother received the Holy Ghost right there. Speaking with tongues. She went home to her folks. And told them about it. And all of them received the Holy Ghost. Found out that one of her, co- her, her cousin was a preaching this message and and they called him and he went to Bear and there began to preach for the Benny Baggett. He went to preach there in Bear, Louisiana and they started preaching and I think 80, 80, 87, something like that received the Holy Ghost. All my mother's folks did. And it began to spread from there. People came from everywhere to hear this message. My mother uh, began to travel with Brother Baggett Quite amusing. I got, I got a letter or two that she wrote back yonder in 1915. And, uh, she was, she said, we're, we're in, uh, we're in Oberlin. We've been here two weeks. We hadn't had any, we only had 16 pray through. Please pray that we'll have a breakthrough. Well, they began to travel. <laughs> but, uh, my mother began to travel and preach this wonderful, wonderful gospel in 1915. And then in 1915, November, uh, they finished praying and mother sat on that old crude bench in front of the altar and Brother Baggett came there and sat down beside her and said, uh, Sister Allie, there's a new doctrine going around. She said, oh, what is it? They're saying that Jesus is God. And that you got to be baptized in Jesus' name. She said, what are we going to do? Do? If it's true, we're going to accept it. Said, we're going to Elton next month. And we're going to discuss this. And whatever is true, we're going to find it. And so they went to Elton, Louisiana. 
If you, if you are from Louisiana, you'll know that's the beginning of the Louisiana church there. Went to Elton, Louisiana, and they talked for 10 days. And then at the end of 10 days, they decided, uh, my mother was the song leader at that Elton Bible conference. And then after 10 days of biblical study, they started to baptize. And my mother walked a quarter of a mile to the river, and it was on a Saturday. It was December 19th. She walked to the river. It was freezing cold, baptized, and walked back a quarter of a mile with wet clothes and never sniffled. That was the first baptismal service. She went home, and when she went home, she went to her mother and said, Mother, said, we've all been baptized wrong. you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Her mother says, why, that young whippersnapper, he's trying to steal all of his glory from the Father, isn't he? She said, oh, but my mother, let me, let me explain it. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is God. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And she explained that. She said, I see that. And they were all baptized in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. And you see, whenever I was born, that's what I came into. And I would not trade it for anything in the world. Thank God for truth. Now let me go just a little bit farther. In 1646... The Friends Church was established in England by the Bible of the Moravians. In 1650, the Quaker Church in England by George Fox. In 1681, William Penn established the church, the Quaker Church in Pennsylvania. And in 1722, the Moravian Church changed their name to United Brethren. And then 1830, Joseph Smith, <laughs> oh, how stupid people are. He was, he was praying on the side of a mountain. You've heard this. And somehow an angel came and said, dig. And he started digging and he dug up some gold plates. And that, those plates was the Book of Mormon. We've never seen the plates. Nobody's ever seen the plates. But that was the Book of Mormon. And they started at Fayetteville, New York. Church of, that was Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And you see, if you don't think some people are crazy, oh, excuse me. Crazy, stupid, ignorant. I don't know what you'd call them. But it looks to me like if you came forth with a doctrine and it did not come to pass, you'd be a false prophet. And I should not listen to you anymore. But you see, it's one of the largest churches in the world today from a false prophet. 
Now, Charles in, in 1872, Charles Russell founded the Jehovah's Witnesses in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They were called Russellites. Now, here's what they taught. And they still teach it. They, they taught that Christ was to return to earth in 1914 and begin his reign as king. That soon the forces of good led by Christ will defeat the forces of evil led by Satan at the battle of Armageddon. Christ will rule a thousand years, and during that time, the dead will rise again, and all men will have a second opportunity to achieve salvation. At its end, Satan will return to earth, and he and those who support him will finally be destroyed. A perfect mankind then will enjoy eternal life on earth. Brother Glass, you're making it. I'm not making it up. And yet that's how they begin. I can't understand people. You're going to have to prove things to me. Is that true with you? Well, let me go. I'm about to finish. I hadn't paid any attention to that. And I'm still not. In 1879, the Church of Christ scientist was born by Mary Baker Eddy in Boston. And her chief doctrine was, sickness is all in your mind. I've tried to clear my mind of things like that. But. And then in 19... To form the disciples of Christ split to form the churches of Christ that we see around us today. Now, why did they split? I mean, it's comical. In 16, uh, in a, uh, 1906, they brought an organ into church. And they were so thrilled. But, and I'm sorry, I'm not making this up. But two board members, their wives, played the organ. They could only have one. So they chose one to play the organ, and the other got mad and blew up and started saying, they don't belong in the church. They belong in the honky-tonks. And so she and her husband and different ones walked out of the church, the disciples of Christ and farmed the churches of Christ. And they're still non-musical. I'm sorry, that's true. It's nothing to shout about. And then let me go one more, two more. In 1908, the church of the Nazarene. It was founded at Pilot Point, Texas. A group of ministers who held to the Methodist doctrine, early doctrine of sanctification. 
They did not like the way the Methodist church was going. And when they didn't, they pulled out and they formed the church of the Nazarene. And it was sanct, they believed in entire sanctification as the second work of grace. And then in 1916, they had a, a meeting and formed the Assemblies of God. And that's when our brethren got up. Whenever they condemned oneness, our brethren got up from that move, that meeting and walked out and we became two separates there. So that's, that's history. But the beautiful thing is this. What happened on the day of Pentecost is to happen today. What happened on the day of Pentecost is the standard for today. You can no more get out of that than you can get out of taking an extra drink of water that you need. you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. you got to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the world will never, will never get so modern that this won't be true. It happened then, it happened to me. And it'll happen to you. Would you stand? Pastor, would you please come? I'm sorry if I took too long. No, I'm not sorry. I did what you told me to. Take my time. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. Right here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Just stay right here with me just a moment. You know, this is what I grew up with. This is what I heard as a child. Sometimes it rubs people the wrong way, but my pastor always taught me if it does, just turn around because you're headed the wrong way. I'm thankful for the truth, and I am thankful for the Word of God. We need to know where we came from so we can know where we need to go. And if we don't know where we came from, we're going to be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what I'm going with. I want to know what I believe and why I believe it. And I'm not interested in a denomination. I am interested in a visitation of the Holy Ghost. I'm interested in the Lord demonstrating to us again that the power of Pentecost is still available. It's still for us. It's still here. It's still ours. And I'm grateful for men like this that have blaze the trail we were talking last night he was he he was chaplain in the military for a, a number of years and the lord used him mightily hundreds and hundreds of people overseas that were baptized in jesus name and received the holy ghost and were taught the apostolic truth he had generals that opposed him and men like this that had the courage to tell a general no you don't usually do that But a general gave him a verbal order to quit preaching this. And he said, no, I will not. And uh, Brother Glass could tell you the details tonight. But by the time it was all said and done, he just dismissed him and told him to go on his way. And he's still preaching that same wonderful message. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Brother Glass, I know you preach, but I want you to pray for this church. Would you do that before we leave here today? Praise God. Father God, we love you. Oh, it's our privilege and our honor and our pleasure to be in your church. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you for all the blessings you bestowed upon us. Oh, God, we're where we want to be, Lord. Oh, God, we want you to touch us. We want you to keep your hand upon us. We want this truth to be embedded in every heart. And those who do not know you today, may they realize this morning that they need to surrender and it will be the greatest moment of their lives to do so. Touch them, Lord. Bless each one here. Save us, Lord. Save us, Lord. Save us, Lord. We love you. We love you. We praise you. That wonderful name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.